With a focus on physical, mental, and social health, the UCS Wellness Podcast is dedicated to sharing informative conversations with the UCS community and beyond. Hello and welcome to the UCS Wellness Podcast. We are excited that you will be joining us on today for our presentation. My name is Kim Tworski and I am a counselor at Shelby Junior High in Shelby Township, Michigan, part of Utica Community Schools. And I'm here today talking to Sergeant Renee Yax with the Macomb County Sheriff's Office. And she'll be talking with you about issues that parents definitely need to know about, um, especially as you're raising teenagers in today's age. Welcome, Sergeant Yax. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I'm Sergeant Renee Yax, and I work with the Macomb County Sheriff's Office. I've been in law enforcement for 20 years, and most of those years have been spent within our detective bureaus. So I have investigated uh, more than I would like to say uh, the amount of criminal sexual conduct complaints. So I'm happy to be here today, and I'm happy to discuss with the listeners, um, mainly parents, about ways uh, that we can hopefully speak with our kids and prevent things like this from happening and hopefully to educate the parents as well. We really appreciate you being here. I know as a parent of a teenage daughter myself, um, I didn't really understand what criminal sexual conduct was. So can you talk about that for our parents? I sure can. And I do know that this is a very uh, touchy subject and sometimes it's hard to speak about because it's something that's very intimate and very private. But I think it's important that the parents understand what it is so that they can go back and speak openly uh, with their children. So criminal sexual conduct is basically um, it's basically the unwanted sexual touching and even penetration of another person. So there are four different criminal sexual conduct conduct laws, which you'll hear me commonly refer to as CSC 1, 2, and 3, and 4. So to just kind of break it down, and it is a very complex law, but 1 and 3 involve any type of penetration to that person or that victim, we can say. And then 2 and 4 um, involve the touching act. So 1 and 2 are the highest, and those involve aggravating circumstances. So the difference between maybe CSC 1 and CSC 3, which are both penetration crimes, may be the age of a person. A younger age makes it a higher crime um, with higher circumstances. That could be a person under 13, or if the victim is age 13 to 16 and the actor or the suspect is a family member, it could be that the actor was in a position of authority or that crime could involve a weapon or even injury. And those types of things are what's going to elevate it to a higher circumstance crime. Okay, so it definitely depends on the difference in age between the victim and the suspect? It can it can involve a difference between the age and the suspect. And like I said, I mean, it's hard to break it down for the layperson to understand and what it is. So I'll try and keep it as vague as I can. Um, but yeah, so you have four levels of CSC, criminal sexual conduct. One and three involve penetration, two and four touching. So with the aggravating circumstances, sometimes can be age. That's when you're going to get the higher crimes. And when we talk about our students, basically our middle school and our high school students, I do want to bring up that there's several states that have adopted what we call the Romeo and Juliet law. Um, and what that does is 
it's basically when there's less than five years between the two people. So that, you know, I'll refer to them as the victim and suspect because that's what we do in law enforcement. Um, so if there's, you know, less than five years, if they're four years apart in age, say a, a 15 and a 19 year old, sometimes the parents might be out to get that older, that older person because their child is the younger one. We do have a Michigan Romeo and Juliet law, which somewhat protects that older party because there is such a small age gap between them. So they may not have to register for um, the sex offender registry because of that. And that's what, if we hear Jack and Jill law, um, Romeo and Juliet law, that's basically what that's talking about is that there's a smaller age gap between the two, the two parties. So what are some things that parents can talk to their kids about, whether I guess both sides, girls and boys, um, on how to stay out of these kind of situations? Uh, How they can stay out of these situations is communication is huge, I think. I think it's really important for parents um, to really communicate with their with their children and let them know, you know, one, what the law is and two, how to protect themselves. So one we want everyone to know from law enforcement standpoint is that 16 is the age of consent. And I think that a lot of people are confused on that. So if you're 15 and you're involved in a relationship, you really cannot consent to having sexual behavior with someone else. Now, we understand that it happens. We get cases all the time, but we want them to know that even if they're a willing participant, they legally cannot consent. So that's a big issue that we see. Um Another thing, and I I know we're talking about prevention, but I just want to hit on one more law real quick um, because it's a big one and we see a lot of it, um, is the child sexual activity and material. So that really comes down to pictures and videos, and we see that all the time in our schools. So there's quite a few things that go with this. So number one, creating it. You know, we... We commonly refer to it as child porn, and I don't think everyone looks at it that way. But and I'm going to use a young lady as an example. You know, if you're under the age of 18 and you are taking a sexual photo of yourself, even if you're, you know, unclothed and you're just standing there posed, you're creating child, you know, sexually abusive material. You are the creator of that. Okay. Now let's take it another step forward. And now that young lady sends it out to her boyfriend. Okay. Now she's just distributed that material because she sent it. And now the boyfriend has it and he's possessing it. So now, you know, something happens and they break up. And this is where we always end up involved is because now not only is he possessing it on his phone, he may have sent it out to others. Now, again, we have him distributing that photo. So I don't think a lot of these students really have these thoughts in their mind, but it really can. It can be a bigger deal than they expect it to be. So those those photos, those videos, those things that they're sending back and forth, we like to think that they're private, but realistically, they're not. They do not ever go away. They stay with you forever. Once it's out there, there are people out there, good hackers, good, you know, whatever we want to call those persons that can find it. So now, you know, you're 25, you're however old you are and you're applying for a job and these things are going to come back to bite them. They follow you forever. So I think that's a big thing. That's a great talking point that parents can hit on um, with their students. 
And then another thing we see, um, just to cover the last little bit of law piece, is soliciting and extortion. So we'll see where these these photos and these videos go out, um, you know, and then maybe one of the parties wants to stop. I'm not comfortable sending you photos anymore. I don't want to send any more videos. I just want to stop. And now the person receiving them tries to extort them, right? You're going to send me more videos. I know where you live. I know who your parents are. And if you don't, I'm going to send them everything that you've given to me. So now in turn, that victim feels pressured and they feel like they have to send more or else they're going to be in trouble. So that's another good talking point. So kids know that parents are a safe place and no matter what it is, even if it's embarrassing, they can still go to their parents. It's just, I think it's nice for the kids to hear because they don't always have that reassurance. It's nice to be reassured. So some of the things just moving on, I know you want to talk about um, prevention thoughts are parents can watch for major behavior changes in their children. Um, if suddenly they're doing something that is not normal or is out of character for them, that's something that they may want to look more heavily into. And it might not be CSC. It might be something else. You know, do you know who your child is hanging out with? Do you know their friends? Have they had a change in their friend group? Do you know the parents of those friends that they're hanging out with? Do they have the same beliefs that you do as a parent? That's one thing that you can watch out for. Another thing is to be mindful of any co-ed sleepovers or parties that you want to have. Many of the cases that we receive start out with, well, I was at a party or we were at a co-ed sleepover. And it's hard because you have multiple kids at your house. You're one, maybe two parents, and it's hard to keep an eye on everyone. So you really want to make sure that you're watching those events, watching them closely if you're opening up your home. I mean, again, they're if kids get in trouble, there's all their other legal liabilities. Um, but when it comes to CSCs, incidents can easily happen. What are these other kids bringing into your home? And I know it's uncomfortable, but you know, you don't have to let anyone into your home that you don't want to. And if they bring a backpack and you want to see what's in it, and that's one of your roles, then they can either show you what's in the backpack or they can move on to the next home. I mean, that's totally your right as a parent to make sure that you're having a safe event and you're hosting safely and doing it legally. I think that's a great point, uh, Sergeant Yax, because you mentioned as a parent, we do have a responsibility and a right to keep our kids safe. Right. And I think that part of keeping our kids safe, too, is knowing where they're at at all times and what they're doing. And a, a great tip that I can give for that is there are all kinds of apps out there that are available to us as parents um, where we can actually track our kids by their phone. And I hate to say that we're tracking our kids, but in today's day and age, it gives you a sense of mind and a sense of peace, knowing that they're okay and they're, they made it to their destination safely. So if you're texting your child and they're not answering, it's a nice feeling to be able to pick up that phone and say, okay, I know they're still at the location that they said they were going to. So an, an easy Google search can show you what kind of apps there are at that you can load onto your phone, onto your child's phone to be able to check um, where they're at. And again, when we talk about phones, you know, if you're paying for that phone and it's your phone, again, you have every right to go through it. And I know we want to give our kids the privacy that, you know, we expect, but these are our children and it's important for us to stay on top of things. So if they have a password protected, maybe they need to share that, share that password with you. Or, you know, when you're looking through it, if you're going through it and you see apps that you don't recognize as something you know, feel free, ask them about those apps and do your own research. Educate yourself, find out 
what is the app that they're spending their time on? So Renee, about social media, I know that, you know, not too many kids are texting these days. They're using these different social media sites. So does the same uh, protection apply as far as privacy? Again, I don't think so. If it's on your child's phone, um, again, that's a call that only you can make as a parent. Uh, I know myself as a parent, if I'm paying for that phone and that's my child and I'm still responsible for them, I do feel like it's okay um, for me to go through my child's phone. And I think it's okay for parents to do that. You can do it together. You can do it separately, whatever you feel. But the biggest thing is going to be for the parents to educate themselves. Because if you're looking at something and you're seeing things and you don't know what you're looking at, that's not really teaching you anything. Um, and again, many of the cases that we get, we're seeing an upward trend in social media cases. And when I say social media cases, it means that's how the event started. So I think social media is huge. And that's something that we can definitely talk about for a minute. So a couple few tips that I could give um, that you can talk about with your, with your children are to make sure that the accounts that they have are private accounts. We see a trend and a lot of kids want followers. It's all about the follower content. I want to become an influencer. I want to do this. I need more followers. But when you really break it down and you really look at it, who are these people following you? I mean, some of them could be, you know, stalkerish type people that you have no idea. They may not live in this country. Um, they may already know you and are posing as someone else. So I think it's really important that we teach our kids to know everyone that is on our accounts, um, you know, pull up those accounts and look at some of the followers and start asking, who is this person? Who is this person? And they should be able to tell you who all of these people that are following them are. And again, with the privacy, they could be posting personal information. You know, you think about it. We just passed homecoming proms coming up. A big thing is to get dressed up and take these beautiful pictures in front of your home. Many of us have our address posted right on the front of our houses. So that's a big thing. Now you're posting it to a public page where, you know, you don't think you're giving away your information, but you are. You're posing by a car with a license plate. There are apps and websites out there, pay websites, where we can get that information of who belongs to that license plate. So those are just a couple, you know, quick things that I don't think most people have in the back of their head when they think about what am I posting onto my social media page. And that would include things like sports teams, your mascot, so that people can find out where the kids go to school. Absolutely. If the person who's looking at you has nothing but time on their hands, that's all they're doing is simply evaluating right down to, you know, maybe the clothing that you're wearing. If you're wearing something that represents your city or your school, or you take a picture with your parents and now they have your last name plastered on the back of their T-shirt. Um, you know, not only are they looking at you, but maybe they're looking at who you're connected to on social media. Who are your friends? Who are your top followers? Who are your family members? So if someone is very good at studying social media, they're really going to be able to find you. And now we see that the social media platforms are constantly changing. You know, we're familiar with the, the really, you know, the really big ones, Facebook, Instagram, 
Snapchat is now a huge one, but again, it's trending. It's big right now. So I don't know if Snapchat is something that's going to be here to stay or the kids are going to jump onto something else, you know, and they all work differently. And that's a big thing. Even myself right now, I run all the social media for our sheriff's office and it is constantly changing. I'm constantly having to keep up on, okay, I can't post like this anymore. So now I have to do this. Now they're giving us the feature of live. Right. So now we're doing things in real time and we're posting actual videos of ourselves. So that's another danger that parents have to watch out for. I'm not saying that it's bad and don't allow your kids, you know, do live videos, but definitely teach them and keep an eye on what they're doing with those things. Well, I've heard that the opportunity to meet somebody that you don't know who you think is somebody, but is actually in reality, somebody different and then meet up with them, that that's something that can happen a lot through social media because the kids aren't paying attention to who that person actually is. They think they're talking to a 15 year old boy, but in reality, it's not. Absolutely. And the common term for that is called catfishing. And actually MTV has an entire show dedicated to it. And we've had many cases like that. Um, So I think for the older generation, and that's myself included, when I say someone is my friend, it's because I've met them in person and I know things about them. Now our younger kids, what we're seeing is they have a friend and it's not anyone they've met. It's someone that they've just, you know, met through social media, They only see a screen name. They only see a photo and they're calling them friends. So, you know, you want to you want to make sure that your kids are connecting with people that they actually know and that they're real individuals. Um, I'll give you an example of something that we've had happen in some of our cases. So Snapchat, for example, when you go on, um, it will suggest people that, you know, and those could be people that are in your contacts that have a Snapchat account and they're recognizing the phone number. So they're saying, hey, you might know this person, but they also use geofencing, which means they're picking up other Snapchat users that are in the same area as you. So if you have a person that lives in your neighborhood and they could be on the sex offender registry and they've created a profile with a different picture that's not them, they may be popping up in that Snapchat users, people you may know. And if you're looking for followers, you're just going to start adding people or you're going to accept those who want to add you. So that's a big thing too about knowing the individual that you're communicating with. And I've heard the same thing with video games, that there's so many online video game sites where people are, kids are playing against other people that could be anywhere in the entire world and they're calling them their friends, but they've never actually met them. Yeah, same thing. And and we're calling these people our friends because we've met them online. But again, are we verifying the information they're providing to us? You know, if you're telling me you're 17 years old, just like me, and I've met you, I'm able to see that, you know, you look of similar age to me. But if you're telling me you're 17 and you're actually 45 and posing as a 17 year old, I have no way to verify that. And we do have cases where we're having these students, you know, they've messaged back and forth, never talked, just messaged back and forth. And then, you know, the actor may say or the suspect may say, hey, I really want to meet you. Let's hang out. And we've had these mostly young women, but it does happen to males too. We've had these young women go to a meeting place and get picked up by these people. And then they realize, oh, I've made a big mistake here. 
And by that time, it may be too late. So it's important that the people that you're connecting with, you actually know and you're able to verify who they actually are. So I hear you saying that communication is huge as a parent, paying attention to what's out there, educating ourselves, even though things change daily, um, being aware of the apps that are on our kids' phones, the friends that they have on their on their social media. Um, so let's say the worst happens and something happens. What does a parent do? So if you're a parent, I would feel that's where we step in as law enforcement. So we can use the example of your child comes to you and they tell you something that they've just been some type of victim of some kind type of crime. Uh, maybe it's a sexual assault. So first and foremost, try not to panic because even though that's one of the worst things you can hear as a parent, your child is still reading you. So, you know, you have to look at the, at the incident itself. First and foremost, does your child need medical care? Okay. That's the first thing we want to do is make sure they get medical care. And we have, you know, different facilities for that, depending on what the medical issue may be. After you get medical care, if, it, if you want to report it, you know, you're looking to prosecute someone for this, even if it's an unknown suspect and you want to prosecute, you can come to the police department where you live. Um, actually, you would want to find out where the incident happened. And that's the that's the police department that you would want to report to. So I'll give you an example. If you live in Utica and the incident actually happened in Shelby Township, you would want to file that report with Shelby Township because no matter what type of crime it is, we always take things in the area that they occurred in. So you would go to your police department and let them know that you want to make a report and someone will talk to you there um, and they'll gather the information. And I'll say when it comes to criminal sexual conduct, there's some heavy penalties for this. And again, it's a very sensitive, sensitive thing to talk about. So it may be that, you know, you talk to a detective right away. It may be that you talk to a road deputy, but you want to make sure that you're being as forthcoming as you want. And one of the things we see with that, um, just a quick touch on, is drugs and alcohol. You know, sometimes these students have been someplace where they've consumed drugs and alcohol um, and they're afraid to report. Consuming drugs and alcohol does not give anyone the right to put their hands on you in any way, shape or form. So we are not looking as that. We're not looking to prosecute those victims who have you know, done drugs or taken alcohol. That's not what we're out for. We're out to get justice if that's what's needed. So we would take the report. Um, we would collect any evidence after hearing what the incident entails. Um, and then we would, we would complete our reports uh, and any evidence that we have, and they would be sent up to the prosecutor's office to look for charges. If an arrest can be made and is warranted, then we would make that arrest at that time. But our biggest thing is one, you know, getting help for that victim and making sure that we're getting all the facts so that we can put a complete case together for prosecution if that's what someone chooses. Great. I know that um, it's hard as a parent. It would be hard as the, the student, um, the teenager who's been hurt. But I think one of the biggest things that I tell kids is you got to take care of yourself and Going to the police station or talking with somebody can be incredibly scary, but that's what you guys are trained to do. You're trained to be sensitive. You're trained to ask the right questions and take care of them all the way through that process. Just to wrap up, is there anything else that you think parents should know about this subject? Um, yeah, just just to touch back on that, how 
how sensitive of a topic it is and how difficult it is to talk to. I mean, we're definitely aware of that. And law, you know, law enforcement officials were trained, especially um, we have a place that's called Care House and it's used in Macomb County. So if the victim um, is under 16 and they're Different police agencies have different policies, but I can tell you with my agency, if they're under the age of 15, we actually take them to care house and it's a very neutral place for, you know, the child to talk about what happened to them there. And it's in in a house. It looks like an old house actually. And when they enter, they're given things that can kind of keep them busy, whether it's crayons or Play-Doh or something just to kind of put them at ease to fidget with. And they're being interviewed by someone that's trained who isn't a civilian. So they're sitting across a table from someone in regular street clothes that, you know, knows the right questions to ask. So we know the uniforms are scary. Um, we don't mean for them to be scary. We're, we're wearing these uniforms so that we're easily identified. Um, but just know that we know these cases are super sensitive um, and we're doing the best that we can to make sure we gather all the facts so that we have, you know, a case to put together so that we can get some type of justice for this victim. Great. Thank you so much, Sergeant Yax, for just informing us on what parents need to know. I know this is a tough, tough subject. And I know that as a member of Utica Community Schools, we do cover multiple uh, jurisdictions. So we will put links to Utica, Sterling Heights, Macomb Township, and Shelby Township in the show notes, as well as any other resources that we have for you. I want to thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Um, Parents, please don't hesitate to reach out um, to your school, to your local police department if you need any help. Again, this has been the UCS Wellness Podcast. Um, My name is Kim Taworski. And for myself and Sergeant Yex, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The UCS Wellness Podcast is a resource created by Utica Community Schools, the second largest K-12 school district in Michigan, located in Macomb County. Thank you for listening. As always, you can head over to our UCS Wellness Podcast page at uticak12.org slash wellnesspodcast. From there, you can subscribe to the show and find all the links and resources discussed in this episode in the show notes. If you enjoyed this resource, please consider leaving a rating and review. And be sure to recommend the UCS Wellness Podcast to friends and family. For more about UCS Wellness, you can visit uticak12.org slash UCS underscore wellness. Thank you again for joining us. From all of us here at Utica Community Schools, be well.